Okay, this is going to give you a little bit of an overview for perfusion and some uh, important points that I want you to remember. Um, so first of all, with perfusion, you absolutely have to recall and review how the blood flows through the heart. That's really going to help you <clears throat> understand, especially when we get to heart failure, <clears throat> why you're seeing the symptoms that you're seeing. Um, you have to understand that that part of this system and the blood being able to pump through the heart involves electrical conduction um, as well as the mechanical means of the actual pump pumping. There is another audio that goes through the actual electrical process of the heart pumping in the EKG strip. I do need you to review that. There are um, certain rhythms that we do have to know. Um, if you end up working on a cardiac unit, then you will go through EKG class and you will learn more rhythms than just the ones that we're going to cover. We're mainly going to cover rhythms like V-fib, V-tac, A-fib, A-systole, um, and then of course you'll be re reviewing some of the nor normal rhythms like normal sinus rhythm, um, then sinus tachycardia, sinus bradycardia. Um, so we will look at those. Make sure you listen to that voiceover so you can really understand the background of how the electrical conduction works and why am I seeing what I'm seeing on an EKG strip. It'll help things make a little bit more sense. Um, some other key terms to be familiar with, um, systole is when the ventricles contract and diastole is when they are relaxing and filling. Cardiac output, a typical cardiac output is four to six liters per minute. And our stroke volume equals the amount of blood with each contraction plus the heart rate or the beats per minute. When you think of preload, you should relate that to volume or the end diastolic volume. It's the amount of blood in the ventricles at the end of diastole. Um, so if we think about preload being the volume, if someone has too much volume, this can be caused by excessive force, such as with vasoconstriction, so all of that volume is not able to get out of the, of the heart. Um, in this situation where someone has too much volume, we're going to give certain medications. We could give vasodilators that can help dilate, um, such as hydralazine, nitrates. Um, we can give diuretics. We can give ACE inhibitors. We can give angiotensin receptor blockers like Losartan. Um, and all of these are going to kind of work together to help prevent vasoconstriction. And the diuretics are nice because they're going to help get rid of volume. Um, let's see, what else? If somebody might have the opposite problem, so their volume may be affected to where they have too little volume to pump out of the blood. And so to fix this, they probably need either just fluid or they will actually need blood to increase the volume. Another important term to understand is afterload. Afterload re, re, um, revolves around resistance. So we talked about preload. Preload relates to volume, whether the patient has normal volume, too much volume, or too little volume. Afterload relates to resistance. The amount of resistance within the vasculature the heart pumps against. So if someone has too much resistance or too much pressure, then we're going to want to give something that's going to dilate. So they might get hydralazine, they might get angiotensin receptor blockers, um, they might have ACE inhibitors, which ACE inhibitors are the go-to first-line drug for congestive heart failure. And these patients can have problems with resistance.
And then another option for too much pressure, something we'll learn about, is some surgical options. An example is an intra-aortic balloon pump. So this is like a temporary measure that we can do where we're going to basically use a balloon to open up that area and let blood pump through. Um, well, what, what if a patient has too little pressure? So again, we're talking about afterload right now. So if a patient has too little pressure, then we can give them drugs such as vasopressors. And epinephrine and vasopress vasopressin are examples of vasopressors. These are going to increase systemic vascular resistance. Uh, so they're going to increase vascular tone, and thus that will increase cardiac output. There are two other videos that go over preload and afterload. Um, they're just YouTube videos on Blackboard. They're very helpful. Um, I think, again, some of these definitions um, you really do have to know because it's going to really help you understand the different exemplars that we're going to talk about and what's going on with the heart. So please review those. Uh, let's see, some other things to talk about. Let's talk about um, age-related things. So we are going to go over some, not all, because there's so many different congenital heart defects. We're going to highlight just a couple of them, some of the more likely ones that you would see. Um, thinking about the baby's anatomy, when the baby's born, I'm not going to go into detail on this voiceover, but just make sure that you understand that when baby's born, there's going to be some normal variances in the heart and things have to kind of grow and change once it's um, outside of mom. So in utero, things aren't exactly as they are once baby's born. And then, of course, um, you'll have specific heart defects um, where the heart doesn't grow like it should once it's outside of mom's body. Um, thinking about baby's systolic blood pressure, you know, it's lower, the heart's still growing, it's weaker, and then as you get older, um, your arteries and veins start to lengthen, your blood pressure starts to go up a little bit, and eventually your heart rate's going to level out. Because if you think about babies have a lower blood pressure, but then they also have a higher heart rate because their heart's kind of pumping faster to kind of keep up with things since its heart's still not quite as strong. Um, as, as we age, of course, things always go downhill as we age. Our arteries start to stiffen, we can suffer from orthostatic blood pressure, um, and also our cardiac output in general is just going to decrease by about 30 to 40 percent, just with normal aging. And then if you think about on top of that, if people aren't eating healthy, if they're smoking, if they're not exercising, um, things are going to really go wrong. And we're going to see a lot of, you know, heart attacks, high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, AFib are all possible with age if people aren't taking care of themselves. Um, with pregnant women, we've just uh, learned about reproduction. Pregnant women, that volume increases because mom is pumping not only for herself, but also for baby. Um, we talked about how the blood pressure typically is supposed to drip and dip in that first trimester because of the progesterone, that hormone is relaxing things. And then as the volume increases in the second and third trimester, we tend to see a little bit of a elevation in blood pressure, um, hopefully not to the point of hypertension, but we did talk about complications like gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, or HELP syndrome that could happen if that blood pressure is getting too high. Something else we want to think about with perfusion is central versus peripheral perfusion. Um, so when you think about central, you're thinking about like things at the core, the heart. There's things going wrong with the heart. When we think about problems with peripheral perfusion, we're thinking about things like, let's say, a DVT in the leg or peripheral arterial disease. So there's a perfusion problem that originates in the extremities. 
So we'll get more in depth on those differences, um, things that can cause that, what that looks like um, for those patients, and then of course treatment with that. Um, let's see what else. So a lot of our assessment, a lot of our history, we're going to be asking questions that we're going to focus on, you know, problems with central, like the actual heart, that pump, having an issue versus problems peripherally having an issue. Um, now, hopefully it does make sense that if the heart as a pump is having an issue, um, then we will probably see some peripheral issues as well. But note that it's not always the heart as the problem. Sometimes patients may have uh, problems specifically in an extremity. Um, as far as prevention goes, we want to have have the patients follow a heart healthy lifestyle. You know, it's eating healthy, exercising, not smoking. Um, drug and alcohol abuse, of course, should be avoided or at least limit alcohol. Um, I'm pretty sure that they recommend that. Um, if you talk about like a daily intake of alcohol for male versus female, female it's one drink a day and male it's two drinks a day. And then of course we would have to talk to our patients about the volume. I can't remember right off the top of my head the specific volume, but someone might think that one drink is like, you know, 20 ounces, which isn't the case. Um, so you would have to be specific on that. Um, secondary measures of prevention, uh, we want to you know, we're usually going to advise that people are getting their blood pressure every two years if they have a normal blood pressure. So now the normal is less than 120 over 80. Um, and then if they have a blood pressure 120 to 139 or 80 to 90 for diastolic, then they're going to need to get it every year because they're kind of in that pre-hypertension range at that point. In lipid screenings, if for men over 35, um, they should have that done. On a yearly basis, if someone from 20 to 35 has risk factors like maybe um, family history or they're overweight, then of course they should get that lipid screening done earlier. And then for women, it would be if they're over 45, they should have lipid screening done yearly or 20 to 45 if they have increased risk factors. Some different interventions to think about, nutrition, think about things that are low in sodium, low in saturated fat, we want good fats. Um, so like your monounsaturated, polyunsaturated fish is usually a really good is source of good fats. Um, we just have to watch the mercury level in those. Of course, activity and exercise, you know, repositioning, um, you have smoking, cessation. And then I'll go over some meds here in a second. And then let's see, surgery. Um, yeah, we'll talk about surgery here in just a second. I think that's a pretty good just kind of overview of things. And now we'll kind of break down some surgical interventions to highlight um, medication interventions and some labs that are pretty important with perfusion.